Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. This episode, our podcast guest Rupa Dharmapuri shares her perspectives on the interconnectedness of life and work, among other things, through her journey from being a developer to testing and a product manager, on how she anchors engagement at work and in life through curiosity and learning, what she experienced in many jobs by connecting the dots across changes in technology, market, large and small companies, and most important of all, people. She also talks about the importance of building relationships based on trust and credibility and stepping into customer shoes to establish trust and transparency while building and delivering products. Rupa also shares some advice for career women as well as those who are aspiring to come back to work after having taken a break. Rupa is a senior technology professional with 17 plus years of global experience delivering software products to market. Her domain expertise spans enterprise security, strong authentication, identity and access management, enterprise mobility management, application lifecycle management and CRM solutions. Rupa has held various leadership roles in engineering and product management at various companies and is currently a senior member of technical staff at Acalbio Technologies. So good morning Rupa, uh, great to have you on our show. Thank you so much. for agreeing to be our podcast guest thank you chitra good morning uh, it's great to be here thank you for inviting me and it's exciting how about starting off this conversation with telling us a little bit about yourself sure uh, my name is rupa dharmapuri i'm uh, currently a member of technical staff at uh, a startup called uh, calvio technologies uh, we're based out of the us uh, but all of the r and d happens out of uh, bangalore it's a cyber security company providing deception solutions for uh, large enterprises um so i have been in the tech industry for about 19 years now coming up soon on uh, my 20th year uh, and it has been a very interesting journey um by training i'm an electrical engineer uh, but uh, that that was my undergraduate degree and uh, I got my graduate degree uh, in an integrated course uh, which had both flavors of electrical engineering as well as computer science. From my uh, early years on, uh, you know, I had a great interest in, uh, you know, how technology can solve, you know, some of the mundane problems which was prevalent in those days. And um, so after my graduate studies, I uh, went on to join Siebel Systems, which was a Uh, you know pretty hot company at that point for uh, crm technologies right customer relationship management uh, this was civil system based out of uh, the bay area being at civil systems uh, you know it kind of propelled me into this uh, entire uh, you know large complex systems right and uh, being a design engineer uh, i started to see more and more of uh, you know the big picture perspective of you know why we develop products a certain way what is the exact problem we are trying to solve and so on and so forth and uh, that theme has kind of stuck largely through my journey right so irrespective of which uh, uh, you know domain or product or company that i have worked for you know understanding the big picture has been uh, you know extremely beneficial and something that has been very rewarding as well 
Uh, I continued my journey on, uh, you know, as a quality engineer. So just to put things in perspective, quality engineering, you know, covers all of the aspects of, you know, validation of systems that we are building. Uh, so it involves uh, validating the functionality, uh, validating the performance, scalability, reliability of systems, uh, and things like that. Uh, so uh, after Siebel, you know, I moved on and I moved to Colorado, which is where, you know, I was introduced to the very vibrant, uh, you know, startup community in Boulder. Right? I, I joined a company called Numerics. We were building application lifecycle uh, management tools there. And uh, my experience, uh, you know, working on CRM solutions came in very handy there. So, uh, you know, I was uh, sort of got also involved in product definitions. Uh, so essentially a flavor of product management at that point. And I slowly got on to doing, uh, you know, project management for uh, the internal engineering teams as well. Right. So this was in addition to what I was doing. Uh, so uh, after numerics, uh, we decided to move back to India. And uh, I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, join a company here called Arcot Systems. Uh, they were the pioneers in uh, the authentication industry in uh, two-factor authentication. And uh, from that point onwards, I have been with uh, the security industry. I was at Arcot uh, for quite many years. I went on to become the director of quality engineering, and uh, we were acquired by a company called CA Technologies. I stayed on and moved on to uh, product management officially at CA. And um, after I left CA in, uh, by the end of 2016, I took a short sabbatical to reflect on a few things. And uh, again, I was, you know, uh, very fortunate and uh, very thankful for joining the founders in the early stage startup at Calvio, uh, which is where I'm currently at. Wow, Rupa, it looks like a phenomenal journey. There are so many questions coming to my mind. You know, I'm sure we'll have further conversations on, uh, you know, how you have traversed all these things in your life, being a developer, being a quality engineer, uh, working in large companies, in startups. You seem to have, you know, a vast gamut of experience. What is it that has kept you engaged or, uh, you know, interested in such a lot of diversity in your work? Absolutely. That's a great question, Chitra. Uh, as you said, uh, you know, that's true. I have uh, kind of, uh, you know, gone from one domain to another domain to playing many different roles, uh, being in, uh, you know, validation, uh, you know, then uh, small for into development and then product management, et cetera. And I think, uh, you know, the uh, answer, uh, you know, that I have for your question is, you know, probably as cliched as it sounds, it's the, uh, the quest to learn, right? And uh, so I think as I have moved on from one role to the other, from, uh, you know, one product to another, to one company to another, I think what keeps me engaged and completely, uh, you know, into what I'm doing at that point is just, it's just very humbling to know how much learning we have to do at every stage, right? Uh, Of course, you know, as we move along, uh, we do gather experiences and we learn to connect the dots and uh, we learn to apply learnings from, uh, you know, one job to the other and from one product uh, development uh, experience to the next. But uh, like I said, uh, you know, the anchor becomes, uh, you know, how curious are you about, you know, the uh, industry that you're trying to serve, the product that uh, the the product which is trying to solve a particular problem, right? And that kind of propels uh, me forward, right? Because uh, I have realized that no matter what level we get to or how many years of work experience that we have had and how many switches that we have made uh, from one role to the other, 
the amount that we have to learn at any given point is still immensely large compared to what we have learned right and uh, that's a very motivating uh, you know insight to have and that's what that's what keeps me going yeah i think that's something that keeps all of us going you know the the learning continuum i don't think there'll ever be a stop to that or an end to it so do you have any stories that you can share about you know what it takes to settle down in a new place you have you know, switched so many jobs uh, for various reasons you know you may have a lot of interesting stories about uh, each time you went to a new place uh, what happened and what you did uh, anything that you can share absolutely so i think uh, it is a very complex interplay uh, you know in, in our technology industry right uh, so we have uh, you know various kinds of diverse people that we come across and uh, you know just the sheer number of industries and the domains and you know the kind of products that we build the different practices so it can get very complex yes and uh, it can get intimidating definitely uh but i think uh, you know in my experience uh, you know if i were to rank uh, you know four broad perspectives uh, you know in any company or any role right so we have obviously the technology uh, right that's uh, you know the core of everything that we do and uh, we have the uh, you know the market that we are serving and then there are all of the financial aspects about you know what kind of a company are you are uh, uh, you know are you a startup are you a large company uh, and so on and so forth and then the final i'm saying that in the last because you know i'm going to flip the order uh, on its head here it is the people right so uh, just you, you know reordering everything that i said uh, if i were to rank them in order the most important thing uh, you know that ranks to the top uh, is the people you know the people that you work with the relationships that you build and uh, uh, you know those are the uh, very critical things that uh, you know make you either settled or unsettled at a place right uh, and the second one of course uh, you know comes in uh, the technology right uh, how cool is the technology that you're working on what kind of a problem is it trying to solve and uh, what kind of a market are you serving are you uh, really uh, solving a problem that uh, you know needs a solution at this point in time right uh, you know case in point uh, the security solutions that uh, uh, you know we are building at the moment cavio technologies right it's extremely compelling uh, we are running against time and uh, you know there are problems that we need to solve uh, and solve solve them in a very creative and uh, you know interesting ways uh, so that's the market aspect of it and then uh, last comes in the finance right although uh, by finance i actually mean uh, what kind of a company you are working at uh, whether established or uh, you know startup if you are in a startup world how well funded are you etc right so these are the four factors that kind of go into uh, you know defining what you kind of do on a day to day basis right and uh, to answer your question yes i think if i were to rank rank it it would be uh, the interactions with people uh, that comes in at the top oh yeah this is uh, this is definitely something that you know all of us can take away uh, because this and like you said it's such a complex interplay at some point in time and without us even realizing it we are always balancing these things uh, at any mm-hmm. given point in time and people interactions are always what i think also drives a lot of uh, you know whether we stay in a place how engaged we are and you know how we sort of embed ourselves in a particular place absolutely and if i may add a couple of more things and i think uh, 
you know, building relationships anywhere is uh, extremely critical because, uh, you know, given the number of hours that we actually spend at work, it is an extended family, right? That's kind of what it uh, lands of being, uh, right? With the close people that you work work with. So the onus is on us every time to uh, actually build strong relationships, right? Uh, so that's one aspect of it. And the second thing I think, uh, you know, that I have uh, realized and uh, it has helped me tremendously is, uh, you know, at a workplace, uh, it is extremely important to be passionate uh, about what you're doing and, uh, you know, the kind of work that you're doing day to day and how much gratification is coming out of that, uh, everything. But at the same time, it is also very important to uh, draw a line uh, in terms of keeping your emotions out of anything that you're doing, right? As human beings, our tendencies to get emotionally involved, attached uh, to everything that we do, right? And uh, to ensure that we have the optimum balance and we are getting the most out of, uh, you know, what we're doing at work, it is important to actually have a little bit of control on that emotional aspect of it, right? And uh, the other thing also is, uh, you know, very often in some of the other speaking engagements I've had, etc., I've heard uh, a lot of people come up to me and ask me things like, uh, you know, how do you actually deal with situations where, you know, people are trying to bring you down? Right. And they're not letting you move forward and things like that. Uh, so, you know, one thing that I've already uh, that I've always thought of and, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, freely tell people also is I believe the power lies within you. Right. The uh, remote control to how you control all of these situations and manage them is in your hands. Right. And uh, one thing that actually works against people, uh, you know, when they're, uh, you know, at a certain company feeling uh, like they're victimized is the fact that they feel helpless, right? Uh, so they, uh, uh, we all hesitate actually to take the first step in trying to solve a problem, uh, you know, bringing a human aspect to everything that we're doing, right? Uh, so those are some of the key things. And I think, you know, it is definitely a balance between, you know, the technical skills that uh, we have and bring to the table versus the soft skills and uh, people management, right? So uh, these are the three things that, you know, we need to have a good balance on. Wonderful points, Rupa. Uh, something that uh, you know all of us i'm sure have learned through our experiences at work uh, mm-hmm. and, and and definitely something you know to constantly reflect on to see what is it that you know i as a person can do to you know improve my relationships and help build stronger bridges with people so with that it uh, brings to mind another question uh, so far, whatever you've shared is sort of uh, you know, internal within an organization. What have been some of your experiences in developing relationship with customers who are actually using your product? And um, you know, are there any stories that you could share from those experiences? Sure. Um, again, great question. Thank you. So uh, my uh, interactions with customers actually started when I was at uh, CA and uh, I made the transition over from engineering to uh, full-time product management. So uh, again, uh, you know, just to share a tidbit from, uh, you know, from the journey perspective itself, it was a complete, uh, you know, shift in mindset, uh, you know, going from an engineering mindset to a customer service uh, mindset, right? Uh, so, you know, very typically the way we think like engineers when we're talking to customers are the ones that I had to actually do a hard reset on, right? Because uh, when we're talking to customers, I think, uh, you know, it's absolutely necessary to step into their shoes and look at it from their point of view because 
you know, the products that, uh, you know, that we are, uh, uh, you know, helping them use uh, is actually solving a very critical business problem for them, right? And that has many different constraints given, uh, you know, where they come from and how their company operates, et cetera. Right. So uh, the ability to see their perspective was the first thing that I learned, uh, you know, as a product manager. Right. And so that actually meant setting aside, uh, you know, all the internal, uh, you know, chaos and dilemma that I had to deal with to get a product release done, working with our engineering folks and just very simply, uh, you know, listening to the customer. Right. And uh, just being a great listener, I realized actually uh, helped me build a very strong relationship with the customer and, uh, you know, the representatives from uh, our other, uh, from our customer companies, right? And uh, so that once that credibility was established, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, give them the value of, you know, what they were asking, whether it was really necessary, if there was uh, another way to solve that. And, uh, you know, also, uh, you know, build a pipeline for them, but be uh, very upfront and honest about, you know, when we can deliver something and when we cannot, right? So transparency over a very strong, credible relationship, I, I think, uh, you know, those are the key things that uh, I took away. I'm sure there'll be a lot of product managers also listening on our podcast, and that's a, that's a fantastic takeaway for them too. And a segue into... Uh, a question which is um, which I have heard from a lot of product managers, you know, um, when you when you are listening to the customer and you're developing empathy for the customer, you mm-hmm. sort of tend to want to do the right thing for them all the time. Uh, but very mm-hmm. often, how that translates back into the organization actually building the product is, product managers are always telling me uh, on an ad hoc basis what is it that customers want. And for product managers, it is the balance between short-term demands and long-term needs of a customer. You know, can you share something uh, in terms of what, if you face the situation, what you've done and, you know, what is it that you learned from such an experience? (laughs) Uh, so that is always a tussle, uh, Chitra. So, uh, you know, what a customer is asking for uh, versus what, uh, you know, we can deliver and what we think we should deliver that a customer should use, there is always a tug of war, right? So uh, we all know that, uh, you know, as tech companies, we build our, uh, you know, feature pipeline and product pipeline and roadmap and things like that based on a certain vision, uh, you know, that we have. Right. So uh, we think, you know, there are many factors that go into deciding the roadmap, et cetera, which is, uh, you know, what are the competitors doing? What does the marketplace need? And, uh, uh, you know, what uh, comes off as, uh, you know, great innovation that, you know, our engineering team has come up with, et cetera. But uh, all at the same time, right, uh, our roadmap and our vision might not exactly translate to what a customer wants. Right. And this is true for, uh, you know, products that have uh, been, uh, uh, you know, in the market for a while uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of mature enough, if uh, I may say that, which means, you know, it's been in production and, um, uh, you know, on customer uh, infrastructure and uh, their applications, et cetera, for a while. Right. So that's especially when uh, we always have a tussle between, uh, you know, staying in a little bit of a sustenance mode versus, uh, you know, propelling ahead with more innovations that we can give to the customer, right? Um, so uh, what I have taken away is 
in my experience it has largely mattered uh, you know what kind of a uh, an organization i am at at that point and where is the maturity of the product right so just to drop the contrast uh, uh, you know when i was a product manager for uh, you know a little bit of what had come to be known as a legacy system uh, at ca technology so that was uh, everything to do with uh, uh, you know card authentication card payment solutions right and uh, we had been doing that for 10 plus years so the product was that many years old this is what i'm doing today right today uh, in a, in in uh, a calvio at the startup we are still at a stage where uh, you know we are telling customers you know how they should be looking at deception solutions right so um, it, it, in my experience it largely depends on uh, where exactly in the life cycle the product is and uh, you know uh, how do you actually prioritize this because uh, you know for more mature products it's absolutely required to ensure that the customer and the product keeps going right so Uh, we cannot prioritize uh, you know just upgrading them to a brand new version of the product at the risk of destabilizing their systems right so it is it always comes down to a question of priority and there is no unfortunately there is no one recipe for all right so it it has to be dealt with on a customer to customer basis and yes it is a lot of work but uh, you know that's how product management uh, can move forward right by uh, ruthlessly prioritizing things for the customer thanks rupa very very interesting insights so in your experience uh, you know have you had a situation where you know you encountered a silly bug or you know is there a lesson from you know debugging a complex bug something that you'd like to share sure um so yes uh, there have been uh, times when you know silly bugs have brought systems down <laughs> right and uh, a lot of learning has been taken away from that uh, so i think uh, you know coming from a you know validation slash uh, quality engineer perspective right um so one of the things that uh, you know i have learned and also you know propagated on to my teams uh, is the fact that uh, you know we should probably not we should not not probably we should definitely not save the quality of a product till the end of the life cycle where you know we have a bunch of validation tests that are going on and uh, you know the, the qa engineers report a lot of bugs and we fix the bugs and that's how we ensure quality right that's just the absolute wrong way to look at it uh, so silly bugs uh, you know complex bugs all of these things can be uh, solved way upstream right this is in our uh, design stage design validation stage and coding stage and of course uh, our unit test and integration tests right am i shifting the problem uh, just over to another stream absolutely not so i think the quality of any product uh, gets defined by how well we know the requirements right and uh, how well are we actually trying to solve a problem for which uh, we are building a certain feature and uh, these of course as we know they get broken up into uh, different modules different uh, services different you know parts of the code that all come together at a certain point and it becomes important to uh, do the integration testing right to ensure that uh, you know it is indeed doing what we intended it to do and uh, so that's actually been one of my uh, primary focus uh, when i was uh, leading uh, you know pretty large team of uh, test engineers was to actually ensure that uh, you know the testing actually happens not from a development mindset but with a customer mindset right so we always have to don the hat of the customer and see 
uh, and replicate their uh, environments and uh, you know do upgrade on uh, you know customer like environments and uh, you know use the feature as they would write stubs to do the integration that uh, you know a typical customer uh, you know implementation would have etc right so this approach kind of significantly uh, you know landed up increase in the quality right uh, so one of the things that uh, you know we did do was uh, work with development teams to actually you know script out and automate most of the unit testing activities right so the uh, so we took the initial uh, you know initiative to spawn that off and in the long run it actually pays off because you know the build quality that the team lands up getting for validation is much higher if uh, you know the build has been uh, you know sanity tested with a uh, exhaustive set of you know unit test suites right so uh, but yes i have built a life uh, and a career on bugs and um, you know there are there are, there have been a lot of takeaways from that oh yes uh, this is something that we've heard a lot of our podcast guests talk about and i also personally believe that any bug whether it's so called silly or complex can teach you something that uh, you know no book or a training course can teach you uh, and Absolutely. i always you know recall telling engineers who used to uh, join my team whether they were development engineers integration engineers test engineers it's like start looking at the top 5 bugs in the system and i think that will mm-hmm. be your ramp up uh, program for uh, understanding the technology and understanding the system so right yeah. and um, you know just drawing an analogy to uh, you know real life uh every incident or uh, every encounter of a situation that we have in real life we take away learning right and that's exactly how our brain works it it stores the learning and uses that for uh, the future decision making or reflex or whatever it may be and uh bugs uh, i believe give us the same <laughs> perspective right uh, each bug is a learning and uh if uh, you know we just fix the bug bug and don't take away a learning it's uh, as good as not doing anything at all and it is very important to keep the feedback loop uh, alive and kicking right so uh, and that's that's kind of how you know software and systems can actually mature right and get to a level of quality that's acceptable that's reliable and uh, scalable definitely agree with you on you know all the points that you've said it it sort of reinforces i think what uh, to many people and especially uh, youngsters who are coming into the workforce uh, because i'm sure several of them will be dealing with you know legacy systems or systems that are already in place so mm-hmm. with uh, i mean unless you're working on a radically new idea you're going to be dealing with an existing system and one of the mm-hmm. best places to start is hey figure out uh, what are the bugs in the system and you know what is it that we can do to build a more reliable and predictable system out there absolutely yeah my next question to you is about cultures you know you having worked in so many places and looked at or experienced so many different cultures how has that influenced you or help you develop as a person great question chitra um so uh, again i'll come back to the point uh, and just put it out there that i have been extremely fortunate and um, thankful that uh, you know i've worked across different uh, geographical cultures uh, you know it has definitely shaped uh, helped shape my perspective and uh, also different cultures that pertain to uh, you know in, in the industry what we call as management styles right and i think that's kind of what defines our culture uh, at any given place and i have had a fair share of uh, 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 
you know, being exposed to great cultures and not so great ones, um, just to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, what has worked the best and that I have tried to emulate and pass on to my teams uh, is a culture of, uh, you know, nurturing collaboration, right? And a participative culture where, uh, you know, everybody from uh, whether you have an intern uh, to, uh, you know, no matter what levels of, uh, uh, you know, engineers that there are and, uh, you know, mid-level managers, high-level managers. So uh, I think the culture that works best is the culture where everybody feels that they are participating and they're collaborating with a larger team, right? And that in, in the backdrop of transparency is the one that is the most effective, as I have seen, right? And uh, on the contrary, uh, you know, the, I have been uh, in cultures where, uh, you know, where people have felt, where I have felt that, you know, there's a certain level of opaqueness in management where there is not a free-flowing dialogue uh, in terms of what decisions have to be made, uh, you know, what were the, uh, some of the thought processes behind why a certain decision was made. If they're not well communicated to uh, uh, the teams and the information doesn't trickle down correctly, it just gives rise to, you know, the, the whole grapevine talk, right? And that fosters a culture of, uh, you know, gossip and uh, being secretive and uh, generally people turning negative, right? And uh, that cannot be good for any company, irrespective of what size the company is, where the product is in its maturity life cycle, et cetera. Uh, so which is why I think, uh, you know, having open, honest conversations really helps. And it takes me back to, the point I made earlier about building relationships, right? Uh, so for everyone, it is all about managing down, managing up, and managing uh, laterally, right? So good relationship with your managers, good relationship with people that report to you if you're in uh, that position, and managing peers, right? And all that can happen by building relationships that are based on trust and credibility, right? And uh, that to me defines culture. And, uh, you know, some insights into what can be effective and what can be better. I think very wonderfully tied in into the earlier conversations, Rupa. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, culture of an organization is something that uh, intrigues me, fascinates me. And uh, these are these are really some wonderful insights. Thank you. So I know you've been one person who's very interested in, uh, you know, what's happening in the space of artificial intelligence. So what is happening out there, Rupa? Um, that's a very loaded question, Chitra, and there can be an answer that lasts a very long time. Uh, so that I will, I will, uh, you know, uh, just for disclaimer, I will put it out there that my background has not been in AI. It is more of an intellectual uh, quest that I have to, uh, you know, just explore on my own what AI can bring to the table and uh, whether it is, uh, you know, as beneficial as uh, the industry is claiming it to be and what are some of the consequences. Right. And uh, so uh, artificial system is one, uh, you know, it's a center point of the product that we are building uh, in the current company that I am at. Uh, so uh, AI is used to learn about systems, you know, that can uh, be under threat uh, from cyber attacks and how we can, uh, you know, prevent that and, uh, you know, sort of build defenses in place already before an event happens. Right. Uh, so these are all areas where uh, AI, I believe, adds tremendous value, right? Uh, so just the ability to uh, for, for systems to learn and uh, autonomously make decisions on, uh, you know, what uh, our deployed solution can do to protect enterprises, right? 
So these are all areas uh, in the area of security that uh, I think is making uh, great impact and will continue to do so. And there are other uh, aspects of AI that, uh, you know, touches human lives, right? Uh, so uh, there was a quote that I read somewhere uh, which said, uh, you know, technology is, is an excellent slave, but it's a, a lousy master. Right? <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I think where AI is headed, I, I think, uh, you know, in automating mundane things and uh, to make sure that people are freed up to do more creative things uh, in, in the tech industry, I think that's a good aspect of it. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think uh, the systems are well understood yet in terms of, you know, how it can actually have detrimental impact on humanity. Right. And uh, so that is something that I'm trying to read more on and uh, all my interest in, uh, you know, reading outside of what I'm currently doing. Uh, that really helps. Right. And that's currently where it is at. Thanks, Rupa. This is then, uh, you know, whenever things are happening in that space, this is material for further conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. OK. Uh, so one question which. Uh, a lot of us have interests outside of uh, work, and I feel it essentially defines all of our lives, uh, whether it be music, whether it be you know just curiosity about things, and uh, you know there are so many dimensions to all of us. How is it that you know you find time to do those things, and uh, you know why is it important to have and look forward to things outside of work? Uh, that actually is what defines people's personalities, right? So uh, we have a lot of learning and, uh, you know, we uh, invest, uh, you know, a large part of our lives at work doing what we do. Uh, but also, uh, you know, there have to be interests that kind of helps you shape your personality in terms of, uh, you know, what your natural interests are, right? Uh, so I always joke with my parents that, they should have let me become a journalist, right? It's not that they actually stopped me, but, you know, in my confusion, uh, you know, I didn't think it was an option that I could pursue. So uh, one thing that, uh, you know, has really interested me is, you know, the the whole aspect of learning about things that are happening in the world around us, especially at a time like this when information is just so readily available, there is no excuse to be unaware. It has everything to do with uh, world news to, you know, what is uh, down to what is exactly happening in the industry that I currently am in. Uh, I have a habit of reading uh, quite a lot uh, that ranges from technology reviews to world news to, you know, opinions that actually matter. Uh, So one thing that I have realized is, you know, how much information to filter out because uh, we are in an age where there is an overload of information. And, uh, you know, following uh, the people that you know have genuine voices uh, saying what they have to say. I think I have benefited a lot from that. Uh, that's one aspect. And uh, I do have a great uh, love for reading and not just technology topics, but, you know, very diverse, you know, set of topics ranging from, you know, life in Central America to, uh, you know, Africa to, uh, you know, other aspects of uh, developmental stories that's happening in India uh, itself. Right. So all of these things, uh, you know, one is uh, love for the reading and that helps me get intellectually engaged and just the uh, amount of broadening of perspective that provides and uh, elements of that, which I can bring back to my everyday work. Right. So those are the you know top things that I actually love to do. Rupa, this is one question that I've been wanting to ask you, uh, and I feel it's a nice way to 
sort of round off our podcast. You know, you've been actively involved with women in technology groups and you've been mentoring several women. There are so many of them uh, in the industry today. What would be some advice or some insights that you could share with them? Uh, so uh, I have uh, in the last several years worked with uh, women in technology groups and, uh, you know, ma- making uh, women in technology not a diminishing uh, population as we have seen in, in the last few years. And uh, as part of uh, some of the work that I've done uh, in those groups, one thing is, you know, I have done career mentoring uh, and talking to girls, uh, you know, women, uh, young girls that are uh, in engineering at the moment and they want to uh, foray into the tech industry, right? And as part of, uh, you know, some of the things that I've uh, said to them is, uh, you know, keep their interest level up, right? And they should come in with a level of engagement that actually hooks them onto what they're doing, right? And uh, that is all about being curious, uh, you know, stepping up their wanting to learn and uh, keeping on top of what is happening in the industry. Not not so many in, in great detail, but the general direction that, uh, you know, the tech industry is taking it, right? And uh, so those are the three primary things to keep them completely engaged in the industry. And uh, the other aspects are uh, what we have typically seen, which is uh, the number of women employees just casually, you know, just dropping uh, as the uh, levels go up, right? So uh, we do start out uh, being 40 or so percentage of, uh, uh, you know, the workforce. And then it slowly drops uh, all the way. And when it reaches the top level CEO, I believe, you know, it was uh, at about 12 or 13%, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that's a very large loss that we have, which is called, you know, in the industry, we call it as the leaking pipeline. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I always tell, uh, you know, women is depending on, you know, uh, where we are in life, it may become inevitable to take breaks, uh, but uh, always do have an aspiration to come back into the workforce, come back into the industry. Uh, there are several companies that are making, you know, an invested effort in, uh, you know, getting women back into the workforce after they've taken a break, whether it be for, uh, you know, relocating or whether they've taken a break for maternity or childcare, early childcare. Just explore those those options uh, and and make it an aspiration to come back uh, into the workforce, right? And and stay on and be engaged. So those are some of the things that I think I, I normally advise women to do. Thanks, Rupa. In fact, on the topic of trying to figure out how we could get uh, women to get back as well as stay on there. And I hope uh, there is something that we could do to improve those percentages, especially at the higher levels at some point in time. Thanks, Rupa. This is this is a good insight into some of your interests. And what I really love is the fact that you know, you in some ways represented the interconnectedness of so many things of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, work, of life, of uh, experiences at work. So uh, thank you very much, Rupa. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely talking to you. like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm 
powerconsulting.com that is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com Please rate our show on Podchaser, iTunes, Stitcher or any other podcast client that you find us on.